time to talk book marketing again. So welcome to Sage Marketing, a podcast of Cornell University Press. Um, today we're joined by Carrie Olivia Adams. She's um, Chicago-based. She's a freelance book publicist. She's also a poet. Uh, she used to be assistant promotions director at the University of Chicago Press. Uh, she was there for 14 years. Um, prior to which she was uh, at the University of Georgia Press. So she's kind of a UP insider, but now she's taken a step outside uh, and is trying the freelance route. And I just thought it'd be fun to get her onto Sage Marketing and chat a little bit about book marketing, publicity. And so we're going to do the whole trigger words, word association kind of thing again and see where that takes us. And uh, so, yeah, we'll dive in. Well, welcome, Kerry. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Martin. Great. So we thought we would get together and chat a little book marketing and uh, play around with some trigger words, phrases. So um, I guess we'll just kind of see where it takes us. That sounds great. Okay. So I'm going to throw one straight your way, and then uh, uh, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. So okay, I made up this term, so it probably means nothing to anybody except me, but. Hail Mary, Hail Mary Media, um, and by that I mean, you know, like the the long shot kind of thing. So what does that say to you? That says to me, of course, getting the big New York Times review um, also means getting somebody on fresh air or um, some other, like all things considered, big time NPR, big time New York Times sort of coverage is definitely probably the holy grail of, of book publicity for what we do. And... You know, it's not something that happens that often, but when it does, it certainly makes your day. The hard part is I think every author um, wants that for their book, and um, when we get into talking about author expectations, that might be um, a spin-off from this, but I think that um, I think for me, when that kind of media comes through, it's really a combination of timing and luck and just having the the right contact in place. Um, I mean, so so much of what I do as a book publicist is just kind of sending pitches out in the dark. And the likelihood of hearing back from somebody is so slim sometimes. Um, but it's often just because you catch the journalist on a bad day um, or at a busy time in their sort of cycle. So it's kind of about just even just catching them at the email at the moment that they are checking their phone or at their desk. Um, and it's about also just having the sort of luck of, of hitting it in the right, in the, in the news cycle. I think so much of us have struggled with publicity um, in the, probably the last two years in the wake of the election and um, everything that the country's been going through after that. If you don't have a, have a book that is immediately tied to the political situation or the larger sort of socioeconomic divide, often there's no there's no other place to, to slot a book. So it's trying to like, sometimes the Hail Mary media just comes through and you kind of hit the news cycle at just the right spot with just the right topic. Um, but it's a matter of, of knowing, I think, who to reach out to. And I think that just also comes with time and also just a lot of trial and error. Um, I also think that Hail Mary Media is somewhat reliant on um, on the authors, both profiles and their just willingness to be 
sort of flexible. I mean, one of um, Everett's author wants to have really big, high-profile op-ed comes through in the New York Times. And that all happened, I think, because that author was very willing to take editorial suggestions, to work with me, to work with the New York Times, to really adapt their their piece to kind of fit the needs. And I, and I think that that kind of um, willingness to just kind of make whatever is going to work in the situation come together um, is often what makes the difference. Hmm. So a couple of things um, popped out. So one, um, I'm curious, I'll ask both questions and you can just like deal mm-hmm. with either or or neither, whatever you prefer. But, <laughs> so you said, you know, I'm curious Things like the New York Times, Fresh Air, those kind of like classics. How long do you think they have as Hail, Ma- Hail Mary media? In other words, are things changing enough that they'll kind of like, the something else will replace them, right? So that's yeah. question number one. And two, do you sort of like grimace and shudder when you get the, uh, the author saying, well, I want this to be reviewed in the New York Times? Yeah. Um... I, I definitely grimace and shudder depending upon the book. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, not not every trade book even has the opportunity to be reviewed in the New York Times, and I think trying to get that across to authors um, diplomatically um, is part of the challenge. Because I think what what often I I don't think authors fully realize is that you know part of making these sort of large um, trade media pitches work. Is, is our relationships with those with those journalists and with those contacts, and they re- and our like credibility and trust as a publicist is, is at stake. We can't pitch every book to to the New York Times because then they would stop listening to us at all. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's all about choosing your books wisely when you're going to pitch them and which ones you're actually going to even go try try to put out there in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, I mean, as much as there's all kinds of other new media and all kinds of other outlets and ways of promoting books, I mean, so far, there's still nothing that quite moves books the way the Times or the or NPR does. I mean, those mm-hmm. are still, like, the key places that book buyers and book readers are getting their information. Just, there's they're still they're still kind of the the final gatekeeper of let's if they review it or if they talk about it, it makes that book kind of essential and definitive. And I don't think anybody else even comes close to knocking them off that platform or yeah. having that kind of power. I know that when you know when you talk to a buyer or a rep and you say the words NY Times or you know, then their eyes light up and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll buy some. Um, and and there's there's kind of a little irony there I sometimes think because you know some of the like really niche weird little blogs uh, probably end up selling more more copies you know because they're like actually pitched to people who want that that particular book Um, but you're right it is still sort of this um, yeah it is still the the granddaddy yeah yeah exactly um I think one of, one of my keywords for you was, was NPR, and I, I'm kind of curious what, how, 
how you feel their book coverage has been going. I think in general, we've seen in the last few years in the work that I've done that NPR has, they used to be much more interested in book coverage. And I feel like that's gotten smaller and smaller and a lot more of the sort of syndicated shows um, that used to have authors on, like the Kojo show in D.C. is one that immediately comes to mind. They keep changing their programming and so that they're going to much more of a close regional focus. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of those big opportunities are actually, I've seen them just kind of disappearing or just taking fewer and fewer books. And I'm wondering if you, how how have you seen that landscape going? Um, to To me, it sort of plays into the larger marketing, publicity, promotion, sales, you know, environment in that, for my mind, NPR, I mean, NPR has like really, really embraced the whole podcast movement, right? They've gone to, you know, small, small niche groups within, okay, it's much bigger than like this one we'll get, but you know what I mean? It's, they're targeting (laughs) their content very, very carefully. And I think that is, so so my reaction when you say NPR is um, in a real, real, Uh, state of flux but I think it's going to be I think it's moving towards uh, actually being far more useful in some ways for us in the uh, in in the book public book marketing world because I think it's actually maybe moving away from a holy uh, sorry from a Hail Mary state into more of okay we're going to target that podcast and that show and that Mm -hmm. podcast and we're going to get you know 20,000 listeners or whatever across those three things, but each one of those people is a specific um, member of the audience that we foresee for this book. And in some ways, I think that there's going to be a benefit there, although it will be maybe um, uh, a little more uh, a little more work up front on our end. Um, it's not just one pitch, it's maybe three or four or five pitches, uh, I think it's going to have more payoff. So, yeah, I think NPR is in a, in a state of flux, but I think in a good way for us uh, long term. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like I guess that's where I see that when I when I see the letters NPR, I start thinking. Um, I don't think Terry Gross. I think uh, I mean I can't think of a of a you know a, a, an exact name right now, but somebody who is working on a local station on a local story, and therefore the local author is relevant to them, right? Right, yeah. No, I can see that. I think the podcast has been great, and they definitely do have wonderful reach within their particular disciplines. I think the challenge I've found is that they are not... The the good and the bad thing about podcasts, they, so far in their book coverage, don't seem as tied to publication date. Mm. Like They are so much more tied to what their topic is, so they are happy to choose a book that is five years old if it happens to apply directly to the topic that they want to focus on for that episode. Mm -hmm. So trying to pitch place like Freakonomics or Radiolab, um, where you could get really great coverage that's directly related to the audience for that book, um, you pitch them, but you may not see anything for two or three years. (laughs) It's like the rest of the the, uh, scholarly book world then. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's like a journal. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, we'll review your book, but you won't see it for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on to... So here you are now as, as a, a, an outside publicist, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, 
uh, outside, in other words, you're not part of the, uh, the marketing team uh, at the publisher itself. So what's it like for you working with the marketing team of a publisher? Yeah, it's it's so different and it's so strange. And for you know, I, I was at University of Chicago Press for almost fourteen years, and in that time, I certainly worked with my share of outside publicists, and it was rare to have a good experience. And so I kind of I've been scared straight by all the experiences I think that I had as an in-house publicist. I know very well what what not to do. I think as an outsider coming in, um, I've learned. Um, I, I've learned a lot about, I think, what makes it work well, and it's really about just a lot of regular communication and organization, and it's about having this very clear delineation of, of roles, about exact, just exactly how I'm going to focus so that there's really no um, overlap or duplication. I think that could be some of the biggest problems is that as an outside publicist, the the pressure on you um, is really to show your work, and so you are—you're definitely incredibly aggressive, but you don't want to step on anybody's toes internally. So it's trying to reach that right balance of like, well, I know these are your contacts, so I'm not going to overstep and reach out to your people. Um, but it's about um, also just sharing news as as, re- as regularly as you can, just making sure that everybody. Um, in, on that, on the on the uh, in-house marketing side, is aware of where projects are and what kind of leads you have and what possible events. Um, it's because it, the hard part is you're not you're not there. You're not sitting at at a meeting and it's, you're not kind of immediately sort of sharing information with the sales team. So for me, it's like trying to find this sort of structure where I can kind of create regular reports and and share documents so that everybody knows exactly what's going on, no matter whether they're in the publishing house or whether I'm sitting at home on my couch. Um, Part of my, you know, becoming from all my experience of being an in-house publicist, the first thing that I want to do when I have an outside client is just to be really honest with them and assure them that no matter how they may feel about what they've seen coming out so, so far of their, of their in-house publicist, that that publicist is probably working a lot harder than they realize and is probably doing a lot better job than they might see. I definitely, I never want to undercut um, the job that the in-house publicist is doing. I'm, my, my role is to find a way to complement and supplement um, whatever those efforts are and find the gaps that the publisher doesn't have the time to fill, whether that's doing sort of a regular aggressive follow-up with people, or whether that's setting up just specific um, radio spots, or working on social media, or organizing events, or editing op-eds. It's just about trying to find where there are sort of niches of, of work that the author would like done, but that the publishing house doesn't actually have the, the manpower to do because I never I just never want to step out of my out of my boundaries I think I really I'm very cautious about the relationship between the the publishing marketing team and me and I really I never want to get in anybody's way and that's about just kind of making it um, seem sort of like a, a seamless 
machine. <laughs> I think the uh, the six people that are listening to this podcast, so you just probably got on their shortlist um, of outside publicists to call <laughs> as a result of that. Because I think, you know, you started off by saying um, it's hard work sometimes working with outside publicists. And, you know, then you kind of went on to explain sort of the, the ins and outs of that. But, like, it's so true and it doesn't seem like it should be. It seems like everybody should be working you know, on the same path, but for some weird reason that, and maybe it is just that distance or um, lack of immediacy or whatever it is, but yeah, it's a really odd thing that I think occurs so many times. So yeah, I'm sure you, I will, I will make sure to put your, uh, <laughs> your links at the end of this so that people can get hold of you. Cause you probably just got yourself a lot, a lot more clients. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, I've been learning a lot. I think that definitely having all that time um, on the other side of this makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, but definitely. yeah, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, you see those like outside firms, and they also like on the in their their initial pitch to authors, they make all of these kinds of, of promises mm. about like we'll get you thirty radio interviews <laughs> and things like that, and like that's just a clear sign that this is not the direction you should go, you know? Like, what are those radio interviews? If there's 30 of them. What are those actually going to be? And, you know, I, I think that I'm not here to, like, make any promises about I'm going to get you X or Y. It's more about trying to make the author feel comfortable through the whole process and just make them feel that everything that, everything that they would like kind of taken care of in a specific fashion, whether that's events or social media or that kind of thing, um, there's somebody there looking out for them. Hmm. Well, good. Good. All right. What, you got one for me? Um, let's see. A blurb. Yeah. How do you feel about blurbs? And I'm also kind of been taking a survey of who um, is responsible for blurbs, whether that's a marketing responsibility or an editorial responsibility. It's a when you uh, when you sent me ahead of time the the two or three that you were gonna look you know send uh, throw my way I was like oh blurbs you know I'm like rubbing my hands um probably gonna get myself in all kinds of trouble if if more than six people listen to it but whatever um yeah I have a lot of feelings about blurbs um mm-hmm. I you know really honestly all I want my blurb to say is this is an amazing book um person important person X and that's it. Yeah. Like I, re- I, you yeah. know, I don't need it to have two hundred words of like uh, book description and background information and um, anything like that. Just tell me if it's good, and if it's good, put your name to it. And if I know your name, ten times the better. Or more importantly, perhaps, if the people who are the audience for the book know that person's name. And that's really that for me. That's all it needs. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 the. the uh, the, the other side of that, though, is books without blurbs just look incomplete, right? So, right. Mm-hmm. so in in the university press world, where we're not going to get for seventy five, eighty percent of the books we do, we're not going to get you know well known uh, pop culture sages, right? We're just, we're, we're going to get um, reader reports and. Um, other academics, which are fantastic for those books. Um, but all we need is a couple of those, you know, something to put on right. the back of the book so that it does look as though other people have given this book some consideration 
and are telling their peers and colleagues, you know what, this is, this is actually worth reading. This is worth buying. And so, yeah, it's, an, it's a really, it's an ongoing th discussion, I think, the whole blurbs thing. Um, but I guess I would just simplify it and give me two or three blurbs that say something nice about the book and the person's name is relevant to the audience, and I'd be happy. Yeah, yeah, that sounds perfect. <laughs> and as for <laughs> as for who should be in charge of it, um, I think it's sort of uh, to use a terrible English um, saying. It's like horses for courses, um, <laughs> and what that means is, is like you've got to find the right. It's the right book for the, or, or each book is individual in its own way, right? So, mm -hmm. I think there. In a, in a way, the, the acquiring editor has already gone to the trouble of getting blurbs for a book when he or she has sent out a book for peer review. So that peer reviewer is essentially providing you a blurb. You know, there's, there are words within that peer review that you can then use. So if it is a deeply academic... Uh, scholarly monograph with a very niche, narrow audience... To me, the acquiring editor is sort of responsible because they've already gone out and done it, and I'm going to take their words, find the right piece, and put it on the back of the book. Um, in uh, any book that has potential for a non-academic audience, however big or small that is, then perhaps to me it should move into the marketing team uh, for them to to work with the author and with the acquiring editor to say, okay, well, who are we going to go after and how are we going to do it? and then divide and conquer. Um, and perhaps the more trady it gets, the more marketing team, uh, 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 more of a responsibility it becomes for the marketing team. So that's, I think that's mm -hmm. my overall thoughts. What about you? Um, I definitely, I, I agree with a lot, a lot of what you're saying. I, um, I think for, for trade books, I'd like to see it all with the marketing team. I've, I have seen, I'm working with Princeton right now, and for their trade books that fall through, through editorial, through acquisitions, and I've been kind of, I was kind of surprised hmm. by that. And that, on the one hand, you're like, well, that takes a lot of pressure off. <laughs> and, <laughs> but um, I always enjoyed kind of having a conversation with um, editorial and kind of getting their suggestions, but letting the final, the final decision of, because to me, blurbs are, they're, they're part of the sales package, mm -hmm. and so in mm -hmm. the end, it's it's playing a marketing role. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think that yeah, that's the that's kind of the crucial bit, right? Is it is in the end purely plainly a sales and marketing tool, um, right? In the sense of you're you're hoping the things that are in those blurbs are going to make people buy the book. That's really what it boils yeah. down to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, but no, nobody likes getting them. <laughs> the they're they're not exactly, yeah, they're not exactly. They're kind of hard work sometimes, right? They are, yeah. yeah. And lots of people will commit, and then they'll just totally oh, forget and never read the book, and yeah. We had a uh, we had uh, we have a new publicity manager here. Her name's Cheryl Quimbush. Just mm, month or so started, and um, the wife of a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yeah, I um, I run this a small press, Black Ocean. Yeah, friend from graduate school, and her husband Joe Hall is one of my authors. <laughs> How about that small <laughs> world? Well, so Cheryl just started here, and today she had her first big coup of a uh, of a, a blurb. We have um we have a book coming out by John Cleese, 
And uh, yeah, I know it's kind of fun. <laughs> Big book for us. <laughs> and um, she got Bill Maher to to blurb it. So, wow! Yeah, that's amazing. I know. So it's like you know, little little dance, a little run around the the house here, and so yeah. But um, hopefully that will be enough to you know make others think, oh yeah, this is a good book. I mean, it's John Cleese. If you can't sell a John Cleese book, you're probably in trouble anyway. But <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Move you to your last one and just uh, 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 sort of give us a quick sense of when I say future of publicity, what do you think? Uh, I think more and it's more and more off the book page for sure. Mm. I think that um, what we're finding is that kind of pitching authors as ex- as experts um, has been the way to, to deal with the dwindling of actual book coverage been more about um, putting together original pieces by authors with news hooks that kind of up anything. Unfortunately, for authors, I think this publicity involves more author involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some authors kind of groan when they hear that and they think uh, that it's just a publicist kind of cop out that we're being lazy. <laughs> um, but I think that's just the nature of media today where it's become more personality and that you kind of have to create your own profile and field and within your academics and it has to be authentic and true to you. And so I think more and more of what we're doing is related to the book, but also kind of positioning the author as somebody who can um, speak on topics that kind of tie the book together to whatever is going on in the news. Um, and I think for books that aren't that that kind of nonfiction that are more literary books and more novels. It's what I have found is kind of this shift away from just targeting the the, the periodicals themselves and the bookers and the editors themselves, but going straight to individual critics and writers and more about sort of developing those relationships with the writers who might write about the book rather than the editor who might assign the review. Future publicity, like most of things in the book publishing world, there are no replacements. There are only additions. Um, You know, it's not like the e-book replaced the physical book. Everything that we, um, kind of fractals, where we just kind of keep adding on and adding on um, to what we're doing. So we're publishing more and more books, and we're selling fewer and fewer individual copies of those books. So we're publishing more books so that we're basically selling the same total number of copies. And I think that sort of just larger, it just kind of speaks to the larger sort of challenge of publishing right now. I think that's a really, I mean, I think that, you know, you could take that as being a sort of somewhat pessimistic you know, future, but at the same time, I don't think it is, and I, I don't think you mean it that way. I, I think you mean it as actually a really, um, you know, the the off the book movement, uh, oh sorry, off the book page movement, and then authors as experts, and um, that kind of fragmentation or segmentation. I, none of those things are bad things. Those things are just uh, sort of reflections of where we are. And yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think that's exactly where this is going. Um, but. That means the publicist role is going to become even more important, probably. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I and I, I think it's I've definitely seen um, just the strategies and the work that I do um, just in, just increase, just because there are more and more 
they're more about people that you need to pitch to and talk to. They're, while the opportunities for books and authors have changed, they're still out there. It's just a matter of, of reaching those people. And, and I think that, I think that's good that there are these opportunities for authors to be experts and kind of talk about topics because it also extends the life of their book mm-hmm. and extends the kind of chance of their, of their profile growing. So I think in the end, it's, it's, it's definitely all good. Um, it's just a, a matter of time management, I think. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think that's a great spot to end this little chat about marketing. Um, I really appreciate you've got that's some really some really interesting viewpoints, especially as you've made that transition from from the the UP world inside to to sort of outside. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming on and chatting. Well, thanks for inviting me. This was super fun. Well, that was Carrie Olivia Adams. Um, as I noted, she's a freelance book publicist. Um, you can find her on Twitter at Publicity Spy. Um, her website is CarrieOliviaAdams.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-O-L-I-V-I-A-A-D-A-M-S.com. And if you manage to spell that out from that, good for you. Um, yeah, you've been listening to Sage Marketing, a Cornell University Press podcast. And I'm Martin Beanie, and you can find me on Twitter at Martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N, Beanie, B-E-E-N-Y.